Hello and welcome to The Lawyer Podcast. I'm Katrin Griffiths. And I'm Christian Smith. Christian, I've got a top fact for you. Did you know that this week our director of Insight, Matt Byrne, polished off his 20th ever UK 200? <laughs> that is quite something. Did he start this back when he was still in a band? Matt Byrne in a band can be found on YouTube with long hair looking like Charles II. <laughs> <laughs> For those listening, well, I mean, for those listening, yes, as you said, Matt Byrne is our director of Insight, who's been here 20 years now. But also, perhaps more, you know, seriously, uh, the UK 200 is the lawyer's annual ranking of the top 200 UK law firms by their revenue size. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's sort of like a user's guide to the UK legal market. If, if we do say so ourselves. Anyway, we will be speaking to Matt later about what we found out and the most exciting part of the UK 200 independents, the smaller firms within these, uh, this table. And that report has just come out this week. It's absolutely hot off the press. But before then, on the podcast this week, we ask, has the music stopped for leverage finance lawyers? Well, our deputy editor, Rachel Maloney, will be here to discuss what a downturn might mean for that oh-so-lucrative business. But first, on Monday this week, the SRA released new guidance on how lawyers should handle clients who might want to issue SLAPs. SLAPs means strategic litigation against public participation. Now, Christian, what is all of this about? Can you paint a picture for us, please? So slaps are essentially uh, a libel or privacy litigation that is threatened or brought against journalists or uh, academics who might be publishing something that's embarrassing about someone else. It's typically brought or threatened by powerful or rich people uh, who are you know worried about this embarrassing thing getting out there. The the key thing here is, of course, you know, libel and, and privacy litigation and law exists for a reason, and there's nothing wrong with it. But the key thing here is that the suggestion is that these claims that are being threatened are actually very unlikely to succeed in the first place. And what's happening is that the threats are being used to uh, well, allegedly bully uh, uh, publishers into not publishing these things because the the risks coming out of potential litigation, even if they win at the end of the day mean that publishing the the story in the first place is just not worth it. Well, indeed. Now, earlier this year, the former head of tax at uh, Clifford Chance in the UK had a bit of a tussle with the lawyers for the former Chancellor Nadim Zahawi. Dan Needle explains uh, a little bit about what happened to him. Long story short, I was accused of libel by Nadim Zahawi, briefly Chancellor of the Exchequer, and I got a series of communications from Osborne Clark, who were acting for him. The communications, the first one was stated to be without prejudice and warned me in terrifying terms that I wasn't to publish it or even mention it to anyone other than a legal advisor. The second one claimed to be confidential and again warned me against disclosure. This amazed me. I'm not an expert in the law of confidentiality, but I know you can't unilaterally turn something containing no non-public information into legally protected confidential information with a duty of confidence. But I asked around, I'm fortunate enough to know many people who are experts in the law of confidence, and they all thought this was very peculiar. I then discovered, really to my shock, and I don't think of myself as particularly naive, that this is standard practice in the libel world, that libel threats sent by law firms, often to unrepresented individuals, are accompanied by claims of confidentiality and without prejudice and 
warnings against publication. It's completely outrageous. Well, the SRA at the time were looking into slaps, strategic lawsuits against public participation, this kind of thing. And I asked them to focus specifically on the question of bogus confidentiality claims. I'm pleased to say they've now done that. On Monday, 28 November, they published a warning notice, which makes fairly clear law firms should not do this. So I think Dan's probably feeling relatively vindicated at the moment because this week this new SRA guidance came out and first of all it basically it seems vindicated what Dan was complaining about with his uh, engagement with Osborne Clark at least according to Dan but also it points out duties on solicitors in terms of how they engage with their own clients when they perhaps might be you know, uh, instructed on something that they all of a sudden think, actually, this might be a slap. So, you know, it's often the case that lawyers might go out and, and offer their clients certain different paths. They might say, you should do A, because that's probably the most legal thing. But you could try these other things because, you, you know, you never know what might happen. What this guidance is saying is, well, if you all of a sudden think that your your client is instructing you to do something that would therefore breach codes of conduct or SRA regulations and that sort of thing, you actually have to stop acting for them because you are going to be in breach of your own regulations by following this process. And that puts the duty back on solicitors to, to make sure that they're aware of what their clients are doing and making sure it's not breaching their own regulations. Now, a lot of these regulations aren't really new. The SRA is just kind of pointing them out again. But I, I think what we can interpret from this is they think that perhaps some firms need reminding of what these obligations are because, you know, by virtue of the fact they've actually released these new guidelines, which they don't necessarily do that often, they think that there are problems out there in the market. And there are some firms who have really cornered the market in claimant work here, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, I actually think that the defamation and privacy market is one of the most interesting uh, of, of the kind of disputes markets out there at the moment. So, you know, there is a clear divide between claimant firms and defendant firms. So on the claimant side, you've got firms like Shillings, Harbottle and Lewis, Hamlin's, Carter Ruck. They act for people who are bringing claims of, of, of libel. And on the other side, you've got uh, particularly uh, Wigan and RPC. Now, there are other firms that also work there too, but they're definitely uh, the largest two with the most with the most clients. What I really find interesting about talking to lawyers in this market is that they come from different realities. Talking to them, you know, talking to a defendant lawyer who might tell you that, you know, slaps are a huge issue, their clients are really suffering because of it, it's, you know, uh, anti-democratic, that sort of thing. Talking to them is like living on the moon and then talking to uh, uh, claimant lawyers who basically say no it's not we're just doing what we're entitled to do to defend our our client who has a right to make sure that information about them is accurate it's like they are on mars so it's uh, it's a hugely hilarious but also deadly serious uh, uh, situation that's going on and to be quite honest there's a lot of dislike between the lawyers here so it's not surprising that these things get quite heated well, we move on to private equity and leveraged finance, and it's it's fair to say that there have been boom years recently for both those markets, but we're hearing that deals are down and recession is certainly on the horizon. So, I mean, Kat, what do you think? Has the music stopped for leveraged finance? Well, it's certainly the case that the crazy level of recruitment is over 
Um, I mean, I was speaking to a partner the other day and he said, it's brilliant. We don't have to pay any sign-on bonuses now. Um, but, you know, equally, there are a lot of sort of stressed people out there because associates who were billing crazy hours are now billing much, much lower hours. And that leads to a certain sense of insecurity uh, as well. Um, but actually, but I think probably before we, we talk a little bit more about this market, I'm going to explain what leveraged finance is, because there's an awful lot of people out there who, who don't work in this world. So very, very briefly, um, uh, leveraged finance goes hand in hand with private equity. A private equity house will make an acquisition using debt finance, and that debt finance is provided by investment banks or credit funds. So when we talk about leveraged finance, we're talking about uh, sponsor finance lawyers. Um, they act for the private equity or the PE house and the debt finance lawyers, and they act for the investment banks um, who are underwriting the deals. Um, and uh, lawyers who are acting on all of these huge, big money deals, billions and billions and billions uh, of deals, are amongst the best paid in the city. And they have been driving actually quite a lot of the massive wage inflation. Um, so whichever side you're on, you've been happy days if you've been working in private equity and leveraged finance. But um, those lawyers are actually having to come to terms with the fact that they're not as hot as they used to be. So with me here to discuss what is going on in this still very lucrative market is uh, my colleague, Rachel Maloney, who is deputy editor at The Lawyer. Um, Rachel, who has been making the most expensive investments? So definitely this year, it's been Paul Hastings. They hired a team from Latham in the summer. That was maybe before things got a little bit quieter. But then they also hired another team from a while more recently. So they've um, they've really been pushing hard on leverage finance more so than any other firm this year. Over the past few years they've been making expensive hires so it, it you know in corporate in litigation so it, it fits with kind of the model they've been going for, for for the last few years they they wanted that team and that's you know they were willing to pay the big bucks for them that they're actually on guarantees so these partners have been hired at the top of the market they're on guarantees they may not be the deals that everyone thought was going to come it, it's a very, it's a really sort of um potentially tricky time for those hires to make good on all the promises that they made and I, I speak for all laterals actually within this market there's been a lot but but actually there are always two sides of the coin when you're looking at growth and investment because there's also the internal side um and promotions and long-term investments of your associate bench so what have you been seeing on that level what what does that tell us about where things are going yeah, I think it's been quite interesting with the promotions across the US firms in the city so far this year. Not all are out yet, but we've had several big firms released, including Kirkland, which has one of the largest teams in the city for leverage finance. But this year, it's just made up one person in finance and, and they specialize more in real estate finance work. Uh, compared to the the financings that go along with PE deals, and that compares to the last two years when you know there were there were six promotions in the last two years. You could say Kirkland is now big enough that it doesn't have to necessarily promote so many new people. Um, but the same was also for Latham. It promoted one person this year compared to three, which uh, is I think is significant given they actually lost a team. So they, they're already down on people, but we're hearing that they want to hire new partners. 
but they haven't materialized yet. Latham's recruitment is, um, its process is known for being very lengthy. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the next year. It's very, very interesting because obviously on the Kirkland side, just because you're big, it doesn't mean to say that you're, you're going to stop growing. And I think the, it's an interesting contrast that you're making because, because they're still promoting in different areas um, as well, like corporate and, and so on. I think, I think what all of this shows, it's a really volatile market. Um, I mean, the, the laterals show how volatile it is, particularly all those moves around between firms um, on, on sort of senior partner level. And, and Kirkman has been the big woolly mammoth for, for years in this market. But on the bank side, because Kirkman acts more for the sponsor finance and more of the private equity houses, um, on the bank side, it has been seriously unstable because the client landscape has shifted a lot. And I have to say that I think uh, one of the more interesting developments here um, is the Allen and Overy rebuild, um, because that is now the only, well, it's not the only, but it's certainly the, the, the really serious UK heritage player now in this space. And it's actually made up two, I think, uh, from memory, two partners um, earlier this year uh, for a while. And they also made an external hire as well from Sherman and Sterling. Um, so where do you think that where do you think they sit within this landscape? That I mean, A and O, you're right using the word rebuild. It's still in the rebuild stage after it lost uh, a sizable team to Cahill. I think maybe the first year of the pandemic that move finally materialised. So yeah, A and O is still building that team back up. So I think it's unlikely we'll see big team moves a la Paul Hastings or Cahill anytime soon, given the market. Uh, but, but, you know, we will see a few partner hires here and there to build up teams that have lost people recently. There are known stars at particular firms, and I'm thinking actually at, at US firms in particular, who feel themselves a little bit stranded because maybe they're, um, they're not getting the right signals from management, and those are easily going to be picked off by those firms that are keeping looking to build um so i you know certainly there will be more lateral investments i think by firms but i think the volatility of the market is such that actually if you're an associate you know you've got to take these all of these things into account which firms have got clear strategic commitment um and that can demonstrate that they're building or or in your terms rebuilding of course Uh, but i think there is definitely going to be a shakeout in the next few years it's going to be a very very interesting market to watch rachel thank you very much On Tuesday night this week, The Lawyer celebrated the very best of Europe at the 13th annual The Lawyer European Awards. And coming out on top was... The European Law Firm of the Year for 2022 has already triumphed in an exceptionally competitive regional category, impressing the judges with consistently robust growth, an impressive mix of client portfolio and its strong emphasis on ESG challenges. This firm's solid leadership and its outright quality make it a truly worthy winner. Please be outstanding once again to Quattrocasas! Yes, Iberian firm Quattrocasas won the award for Best European Firm of the Year, having already taken home the gong for Best Iberian Firm. But the European awards were also held with special thought reserved for Ukraine, and particularly the legal community there, who has been responding to the challenges of the war since February. We move now to a new segment, which I think I'll let Kat introduce. A section that we're tentatively calling 
Did You Know with Matt Byrne? Uh, lots and lots of interesting things that you perhaps had never, ever thought of, but now you're going to be totally fascinated by. Um, I hope I'm not overselling it, but uh, we are here with Matt Byrne, the Director of Insight at The Lawyer, and um, we're going to be talking about the independence, and that's the lawyer's report that focuses on the firms in the lower half of the UK 200, and it's that's a market that we, well, I say we, you, Matt, have been tracking for over a decade, and it's very, very fluid firms, up, down, in, out. Tell us a little bit about it. It reminds me of that old TV show, Rock Family Trees, where you find out all about the history of Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones or T-Rex or the police. I, I'm clearly showing my age here. And, and which band the lead guitarist used to be in before he became a megastar, only this time, it's law, law firm family trees. And let me tell you, it's no less exciting. Maybe a bit. But the independence started about 20 years ago when we began tracking some of the firms just outside the top 100. And that then grew into a separate focus on the next 50 firms. And finally, it led to the UK 200. And this is important because that second 100 group of firms has consistently been one of the most dynamic segments of the market over the past decade. And in that time, we've seen plenty of comings and goings. Now, this year's headlines definitely include the ongoing mopping up of some smaller firms by Knights, a firm that's grown around 200% over the last three years and has snapped up no fewer than 17 firms firms in five years, which is an incredible rate of growth. Another 37 firms in the independence this year grew their revenue by double digits. And in total, the combined revenue of the uh, independence went up by 5% from 1.9 billion to 2 billion. At the other end of the scale, several firms dropped out of the rankings this year because they weren't big enough. And in fact, a total of 22 firms saw their turnover fall last year. That is more than three times the number that posted a fall in fee income in the top 100. So actually what you're saying, Matt, is that size matters, right? I mean, it, I mean, it sounds kind of reductionist on the face of it, but all of this data seems to show that it's a recognition that being big is more likely to pay off than being small. So growth is totally at a premium in this particular segment of the market. It is, absolutely. Um, and it's it's very acute at the moment. I mean, to put it bluntly, costs are going through the roof. And if firms aren't big enough, they're likely to find it tough meeting those costs. That's what it boils down to. Never mind the growth everyone's looking for. Now, look, we try and interview every single firm in the UK 200 and numerous managing partners of firms in the independence specifically told us as much. They need to be bigger. Um, so I think this data highlights several trends, but in particular, the recognition by smaller firms of the economies of scale that can be achieved by being bigger and the level of consolidation that's going on in this part of the market that's already happened this year and we think absolutely is going to continue to happen next year. And of course, there's another issue that smaller firms are definitely facing, and that is they risk losing their best talent to larger, richer firms that can pay higher salaries. Well, I mean, well, 
you know, from what you're saying, it's a challenging market for them. But it's probably is as much a challenging market for any firm, you know, whether you're big law or medium law or smaller law, and the issues are the same. Um, uh, and I think actually there's a sort of there's a very there's a particular interest in this this market because this is a section of firms that are a combination of very entrepreneurial, but there are some firms that are pretty moribund as well. So it's a really, really interesting cross-section of of strategies and cultures and so on. I have to say that Matt and his team um, have done a fabulous job. There's detail and data on every single firm. So, um, And I know that there are plenty of managing partners and strategists in the legal profession who read it very, very closely to see which jewel to try and pick off uh, and who to merge with. So um, that's my top tip is uh, have a read of that and then you can work out which mergers are going to happen next year. Um, Matt, despite the terrible line, uh, thank you very much for joining us. That's all we have time for on this episode of The Lawyer Podcast. We'll be back again in a fortnight. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at podcast at thelawyer.com. And of course, you can find more about anything we've been discussing at thelawyer.com. Until the next podcast, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>